We hear the stories all the time. Man gets 20 to life for deadly assault or women sentenced to 10 years for drug trafficking. More men and women are being sent to jail or prison every day, and even more are simply sitting in jails to await their trials. Why are there so many people behind bars? And what really goes on behind those iron doors? Better yet, what happens when the people get out? The only way to know is to go straight to the source. This is Justice Uncovered. How much of a role does childhood trauma play in one's actions and behaviors? We started exploring this question in part one of my conversation with Carlos, and in this segment, we get into his troubled teenage years prior to his incarceration, as well as some of his experiences therein. Let's get back to it, shall we? Law wasn't hard for me to, like, not care about. I was trying to not care about the very same God who I thought my mom gave me to. Mm -hmm. I thought I could sense the bounds that he was keeping me in, the bounds that she asked him to, to place on me. Mm-hmm. And I hated it because I didn't like the idea of being sad about the, the events as they unfolded. I wanted to be angry. I want, and then I wanted to be unaffected. I didn't want to be sad or feel weak or hurt about the actions that had been taken by those around me. So the occult provided that. Kriya yoga is what I was doing. That's not universally considered a cult. I'm not a Roman Catholic. To Roman Catholics, I'd be considered a cult. Therein. I began entertaining like alternate states of consciousness. I began entertaining just not being me, really. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the first thing I did that was illegal. I don't think anything in high school, honestly. I just know that I became increasingly aggressive. Mm -hmm. If I didn't like you, your authority didn't mean anything to me. It was just something to be circumvented. Mm -hmm. So I graduate. I date the woman in question the woman who I harmed Mm -hmm. and basically we committed crimes (laughs) is a short version of events. Mm -hmm. I really was not affected by it. My conscience didn't hurt. I didn't really worry about repercussions at all. It was just thrilling. Mm -hmm. I think I thought of jail once and it's because authorities were involved in something that we had done, but the thought left my mind almost as quickly as it entered it. Mm-hmm. I also began smoking marijuana around this time, which is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I would always get like deeply depressed on it. And I would just start questioning like, why am I alive? Like I'm not in college yet. What am I doing with my life? I'm a failure. Nothing I do will matter. And meaning it, these weren't just like, it wasn't for attention. It was like, I was reasoning out loud. And then I'd be like, Oh, I know. Every, almost every time toward the end, I stopped smoking, I believe, New Year's 2011, 2012, I'm sorry. And I'd always be like, oh, I know what to do now. I should just go insert here. It's like some version of like harming myself. Mm. Oh, and I think most importantly, like that religion that I was practicing, its end for me was always like engaging in total poverty to pursue enlightenment in a foreign country mm-hmm. and then like die. That was to a degree like my greatest spiritual objective. Therein, certain forms of being involved commercially, working on a career, building a resume, like those things could all be contradicted very easily. Mm-hmm. Just as easily as I'd be like, yeah, I want to be a physicist. I'd be like, well, if I'm going to stay in this world, if I'm not going to like leave or go be a missionary somewhere or a monk. Wow. So 
obviously things weren't going well with my then girlfriend and I. Most of our disputes were predicated on me and my own sense of like fulfillment in life. Mm-hmm. I went from spending hours after school every day alone and not date. I dated a person for like a, a week or two and then like didn't talk to them for winter break and then we came, we convened again in school and they were like, Hey, we should talk. And I'm like, yeah, we're breaking up. Right. I haven't talked to you in a month. They're like, yeah, that's not cool. And I was like, sorry. At that time I didn't, I didn't care. So I went from being a loner to a loner who did theater, which was intense. And then I'd feel guilty about like certain social events. I become convinced that like they weren't furthering my ability to pursue enlightenment mm-hmm. that I was fake. So on top of my other notions of being unworthy, I also added this degree of being, I guess, untrustworthy to myself. I couldn't trust that I would pick the right thing to do to pursue the thing that I say that I wanted. Mm. That's a lot to date at 19 years old. God bless her for even attempting. So people are on their best behavior, I think, in relationships for months. And then it becomes, I think, a little harder. Our first disputes would be pretty much about, like, I kind of indict her character. I'm like, why are you being mean to that person? Like, why? And she's like, what do you mean? Why are you defending? I don't even know them. I'm like, because it's just like not necessary. Mm-hmm. Or how did you conclude it that way? This is good if both parties agree to a, a relationship like this. And I think there's some healthy boundaries established. Mm-hmm. That was not the case in either front. We did not agree to it. And there were no healthy boundaries. So to a degree, I became a carping critic of her. And I rationalized it by saying, this is true according to my religion. It's like I'm trying to spread the virtues of my religion so that people can be enlightened. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that. It was misery. It was a sense of dissatisfaction with myself, mm-hmm. of being understimulated. And ultimately, I absolutely was like, hey, I don't really see any point in being in this relationship anymore. At that point, my, my perception was I was being told that things would change that we would work on things together and things were staying the same. And I was like, I don't agree to this. I don't want this. Mm -hmm. So I allowed myself to be told again by a very young person, whilst myself very young, that things would get better and that things would change. I'd be pissed. Like these disputes, I wasn't just like intellectually upset while restraining my passions. Like I was very much upset. I was upset that I was agreeing to date someone that in other contexts, like I would never be involved with that again, felt like in a degree of me being untrue to myself. Mm-hmm. And then I would rationalize that by being, having been asked to help at a point in time in a relationship. She said, Hey, can you just help me with the stuff that you see me doing wrong as opposed to not saying anything and being upset. And in my pride and my pompousness and in my stupidity, I was like, yeah, as if I was qualified <laughs> to help somebody whilst drowning myself. So, Mm-hmm. I believe at a point in time we were dating, I was seeing certain things. I was seeing like a, an ability to kind of poke the bear. I've always kind of been afraid of, I guess, a person like provoking me because I didn't know how I would act. I didn't know if I'd be okay with it. Like I was with my mom or mm-hmm. if I'd be bad and angry and violent. So mm-hmm. one day we were chatting and I was thinking about something I had seen and I was like, Hey, like, don't ever do that to me. It was laughed off and trying to be very solemn, very grave. I was like, Hey, if you ever do that to me, 
if you ever, that's what it was. It was betrayal. If you ever betray me, I will hurt you. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where she didn't hear it at first. Like it was one of those things where like you hear it, but you have to process it. Like, Are you serious? I was like, yes. Like you don't ever betray me. Fast forward. Things have pretty much imploded a million and one times. Now we have made a million and one resolutions to work on stuff, do things differently, to journal together, to talk things through, to spend time apart, to do a variety of things just to like help a relationship that to a degree around three months in, I didn't really want to be in anymore. Mm-hmm. I had become financially codependent as well. I moved out of my place uh, a few months in and then she had the great idea one day like hey if you don't like your job you can quit it's fine we'll be fine financially oh as a person who hates commercial activity because in kriya yoga all attachment is the reason why you don't progress and also because i was a lazy 19 year old (laughs) i was like dope so to a degree it was where do i go like we break up where do i where do we go like i don't have much income Mm -hmm. i don't have much saved up my mom moved to Nevada three weeks prior to my graduation. I came home. All my belongings were in back on the sidewalk. And she was like, hey, tired of your shit. <laughs> wow. You're 18. You're getting out of here today. And I was like, cool. So I called my good friend. And, he, and I was like, hey, man, I have nowhere to live. He was like, what? Called his mom. He's like, yeah, my mom said you could stay for a while. I'm like, cool, dog. That's all I need, man. Somewhere to stay. Mm-hmm. My dad and I hadn't talked since I was like 12, and that was like a one-off event. I hadn't really lived with him since I was, I think, like three. Mm-hmm. Didn't know where he was in the world. I had already asked my family prior to this, after the incident where the foster care was threatened, if I could stay with them. I didn't feel like this would be any different, so I didn't ask my family or my friends who had already told me no. And I just asked him, and he said, yeah, and I kind of just bounced from place to place. And so I moved within a couple blocks of her, renting. And then one day we just hung out and we began dating. And then I just became mean in my mind. I painted myself in a bad situation mm-hmm. and really couldn't get out of it. I didn't see a way of getting out of it cleanly, mm-hmm. but I was still angry. I was still upset. So I had to voice myself. I had encouraged her to get a new therapist because her former therapist would just ask her how her week was. And I was like, I can do that for you. She's like, well, I mean, it helps. I was like, cool. If you want more out of your therapy, like just go get a therapist, get a different therapist in your network. So mm-hmm. she did. That therapist was a good therapist. Like a therapist told her, like, hey, I think you're like kind of being emotionally abused. She was. I was gaslighting her. That wasn't a term then to my knowledge, but that's what I was doing a lot. Mm-hmm. So even though I felt trapped, I became extremely emotionally codependent on her. She was like the only stable person in my life since I was 15 or 16 years old. My mom obviously was, but things became unstable and then she left. Mm -hmm. It was really ambivalent. It was like, I absolutely can't stand this and you're great. You're the best. Combine that with like no commercial involvement. I was, I started going to college and it's like, yeah, you're just in a toxic relationship. Not long after the new therapist, she broke up with me as she should have. (laughs) I was like, I don't really know how to, in this like i don't know where to go mm-hmm. i just called people eventually i found a place and that's my current understanding is that i was tempted based on some really disorderly passions and just some pain that was unprocessed and just some like really 
broken philosophy, just my, my view on life and its meaning mm-hmm. was just warped. I became convinced that I was going to keep doing this. I was going to keep being the victim, the person who had to scramble to find somewhere to live. I was going to keep being the person that was at the mercy of others to show pity. And I always told myself that violence was going to be the way I equalized things. When things got too far, I had this secret, this trick of my sleep of being able to harm people. At first, I didn't think about really harming myself. I was only interested in harming her. And then like a sensible person would be, that thought isn't really a comforting thought that you're planning on hurting someone. So like you get sad and then before you, before you know it, you went it just in your own existence. So I kept teetering back and forth on those two things. Mm-hmm. After our breakup, we continued to like text as the days went on, which probably wasn't the best. And I woke up that day intent on dying. So it's a very long-winded story, <laughs> but... And it emphasizes the negative parts, but I don't think I like putting on the rose-colored glasses and saying, like, I'm a good person. I'm not saying that I'm not innately capable of being a good person. I just think that in telling this story, I've kind of become accustomed to just telling it. As things influence my actions and as my actions have been kind of at odds with, like, life, defending life and living life and being happy for many years leading up to it, that action really didn't seem out of step with my views at the time. Mm-hmm. I held on to a degree of anger and resentment for years during my incarceration. And then I had a conversation with a guy who was living in the same cell as me because he just was like, hey, like, I don't see you as this person. Like, you're mild mannered. You seem courteous. Like, you seem like you want to be nice to people, but you don't really have to be. Mm-hmm. How? What happened? Right. And I'm like, she betrayed me. You know, that was my go to, which was always shorthand. And I always knew that I was like concealing something bigger. Mm-hmm. It took me a lot of like a lot of living and learning to know what I was really trying to say. Mm-hmm. But my answer was always I was betrayed. I said, I'm betraying me, which was a lie. It was very shallow and it was not honest. He heard my story and he was like, I think you think the love she showed you wasn't real because it wasn't ideal to you. But like she probably really did love you. You know that, right? And she probably thinks about you because not only because of what you did, but like she loved you. Mm. And that changed a lot of things for me. I felt guilty about hurting somebody that actually loved me. And that began a process of just being like, wow, who does that? Who hurts people that love them? That's not good. And it's something that I've been complaining about to a degree my entire life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that began a process of me just kind of letting go of all that hostility and resentment and anger and bitterness. And it wasn't long after that that I met a guy who had a life sentence. Hmm. And he was like, hey, there's a place for you. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really trying to evangelize me. I think he was just explaining to me that like the things that I was seeking in Kriya Yoga, Eastern philosophy, were contained perfectly in Catholicism. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting perception. And then during that whole process of becoming proselytized and initiated, I just stopped viewing sin, the perversion of good, as a superpower. I didn't want to like harbor anger to use it as a trump card. Mm-hmm. So many things kind of fell into place after that. Right. I don't think I'd be in a good spot if not for religion. Wow. You really have a, a powerful story. And a lot of aspects of it are not pleasant. They're sad. They're infuriating, probably very difficult. At the same time, 
because of the place where you are now, it's almost as if the strength that I can see from you, even in you saying, okay, this happened. It's not a happy-go-lucky story. However, that's who I used to be. But that was a big part of my story. That is a big part of my story. I can't deny it. That's just not... That's not all of me, but it makes up a big part of the person I am now because of who I am now after the fact. There's a lot of strength in your story because even after going through all that, the fact that you're still here, that says a lot. Yeah, it does. I like your perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Of course. So you mentioned how after that conversation, those two individuals you met in prison, like how your perspective on life and your situation kind of took a shift. Were there any other experiences while you were incarcerated that affected your mindset and how you saw the world? Definitely, definitely. Negatively and positively, for sure. So at first, you just realize that 5'11 is short. You're like, wow, I, I thought I was a tall dude. And you're like, nah, there are these behemoths of men in here. <laughs> <laughs> Muscle-bound men. I weighed 150 pounds, so rather lanky. And you're like, huh, okay. Safety becomes an issue, which is to a degree humbling, which I needed because I was extremely arrogant. Mm-hmm. And that kind of helps like you place your, your well-being in someone else's hands. Fortunately, I had a notion of God. Mm -hmm. I was like, I I, I need help. I don't presume to know how I'm going to fight these people. If the situation happens to go that way. Right. A few things kind of stuck out. A sense of loyalty, a sense of accountability. That's a better word. The idea that like you don't involve other people in your conflicts. Mm -hmm. If you get in a conflict with somebody, that's your conflict. You don't tell you don't run, you handle your conflict. So mm-hmm. that teaches you to be either to be large in your environment and to risk offending people and then the consequences of that, or to be very, very small in your environment. Take what you need and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. I mention those because those are still important to me. The idea of accountability. I will handle my conflicts. I'm, I think, far more healthy in bringing in appropriate parties to handle things. Mm-hmm. And because my conflicts aren't really violent anymore, it's just a better spot to be in. Right. I think I'm probably going to be a minimalist for the rest of my life because of prison. Uh, <laughs> because it's just like, you see what you need. You see that you subsist off of like a whole bunch of carbs and some very low grade meat. <laughs> and you're like, huh, I gained muscle somehow in this environment. Hmm. So, yeah, teaches you a lot. That's kind of like county. County stuff was just being shocked by my own physical dimensions and then my sense of self. Mindset. This is something you may have noticed that's been mentioned or at least alluded to in many of the episodes released so far. The mind is so critical to decision-making, perception, and perspective, and it's shaped and influenced by experiences, people, and encounters over the years. Carlos had a rough start in his life, which affected his perception of the world around him. He never sees his trauma as an excuse, yet he acknowledges the very real role and toll it had on his mind, 
mental health, and subsequent behaviors due to it not being addressed and dealt with. He's not alone in this. There are many people in jail and prison right now with unaddressed trauma and mental health issues and concerns that society just throws away due to a wrong decision, action, or choice. Fortunately for Carlos, he met a few other incarcerated people who helped change his life. Not everyone is so blessed. We cannot, as a society, condone a system that ignores people's stories and overlooks their pain. Yes, hold them accountable for what happened, but don't throw them away like they're nothing. They are people with real struggles and fears and emotions. And if they're to truly become functioning members of our society upon their release, they must be seen and heard and genuinely helped. This is not an emotional ploy to get you to be soft on crime, whatever that means. People's lives are at stake. And if we don't properly address the mindsets of the people in jails, prisons, or under other forms of correctional supervision, we will just continue this messed up cycle of throwing away broken people in need of genuine love, support, and accountability. Let's acknowledge the root of the matter and properly deal with its core. <laughs>